Welcome in everyone. Welcome to the Buddhist Wisdom Podcast. Um, I have a really wonderful guest uh, for you today, uh, Elizabeth Mattis Namgel, who's uh, a friend of mine. Um, and uh, she's mostly known for being a really wonderful Buddhist teacher, um, author, mom, and also a host of uh, Open Question, A Call to Inner Brilliance podcast. Um, so welcome, Elizabeth. It's really, really wonderful to have you here with me. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, and, and, and just some background for for you know anyone listening to this is you know we've we've known each other I think since I've lived since since I lived in Crestone, so around mm -hmm. 2011 or 12, something like that. Yeah. And um, and also uh, we often get into very deep, sometimes rambunctious discussions on Buddhism. And <laughs> I love that word rambunctious. It's <laughs> yeah. gotta be rambunctious. <laughs> yeah, it's Otherwise it's not fun. You know, it's just sort of like, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, so, the topics are so juicy. That's why. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when I started, you know, hosting interviews on, on here, you were the, one, of the, one of the first people I thought of just because our, mm. our conversations aren't usually recorded, but they're really rich. And I thought, wow, this would be so fun to share this with others. So, so welcome. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Thank you. Yeah. And um, our topic today is going to be um, the Buddhist principle of sacred world, something Elizabeth uh, teaches a, a lot about over the years. It's one of, you know, like kind of the main topics uh, that I think you like to share uh, the Buddhist principle of sacred world and how that relates to the nature of self in Buddhism. So, you know, we're going to, we'll see where we go, but we'll probably take a pretty deep dive here, I imagine. Um, and, and one of the things, sorry, if it's okay, Elizabeth, I know it's, it's sort yeah, of no, uncomfortable please. when people share things about you, but oh. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've really appreciated about your work and, and how it's actually influenced me, not only as a practitioner, but as also in my, um, Dharma teaching work and, and activity is, is this sense of an open question. I mean, uh, Elizabeth has two books. One, one is the power of an open question. The other is the logic of faith, correct? The second book. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she's edited books from, from her main teacher, um, um, but, uh, but this idea of an open question and, and the idea of bringing more curiosity into our Buddhist practice, I just want to let you know how appreciative I am of, of your influence on the Western Buddhist world in, in bringing that in. Cause it, it's sort of there, but often it's not, in, it's not explicit and you, you've really worked hard to make that explicit. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Scott. Well, it does have something to do with sacred world. So we could bring that up anytime if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump in. So, um, so I guess, you know, the first thing I wanted to get going for our conversation was just this idea of, of what, you know, what is the, uh, what is this, this principle of sacred world in Buddhism? And I, I would just love to hear from you kind of your, your, your thoughts on that, your, your work on that. Yeah. Well, sacred world is usually used in the context of a particular uh, lineage of Buddhism, Vajrayana Buddhism, or Tibetan Buddhism. Um, often we well, we use a word, the term sacred world when we're talking about the objective side of what we're experiencing, and then pure perception when we're talking about it from the object, the, I'm sorry, yeah, when we're talking about the mind that sees things as sacred, then we're talking about um, pure perception. So pure mm. perception talks about this objective part, and sacred world is kind of talking or describing what a mind of pure perception would see. 
Okay. So in the Vajrayana tradition, also there are ways of formal ways of practicing sacred world, for example, in the form of sadhana, um, mm. a liturgy, a particular kind of liturgy um, that uh, is kind of a fruitional way of seeing things. I think one of the, one of the aspects of seeing sacred world or practicing sacred world is, I can maybe say uh, the great um, adept Longchenpa, Kunjan Longchenpa said, on the island of gold, there is no ordinary rock, meaning mm. that everything is taken to be value, of value in some way. Everything is a source of awakening. Everything has the nature of empty luminosity. Um, that's a very, you know, a view that takes a long time to cultivate, and, and that's okay. But it also has an aspect to it that has to do with creating good um, tendril or good auspicious coincidences. I often talk about that as creating grace. Mm. So it has this aspect of this how we relatively work with the world, how we create grace in the circumstances we find ourselves in, and then the aspect of you know the the zokram or the completion state, which is that we really see the nature of empty emptiness and luminosity. So that's what a traditional sadhana would be in the in the Vajrayana practice. Um, and then in, but, uh, you know, when I started to look at this, because I find this topic of sacred world very provocative. Mm. What is it? Because yeah. we often, for many different reasons, don't see the world as sacred at all. It's painful. Or we mm. might want to see the world as sacred, but we're, we're grappling and we're uncomfortable. We don't know how to be in it even. And it all often seems like we're just living around difficult circumstances circumstances you know we're grasping at wanting the world to be a particular way and so you know we have to kind of reject certain aspects of experience so that's not sacred world um so i i find it all i've i've always found this all very provocative um but i started to notice that actually it's not just a vajrayana principle it's in the mayana as well and yeah. i think elements of it in in the hinayana too Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to hear that because, yeah, I, I've only, I've mainly heard of it, you know, in in the sense, um, in the sense of the of the Vajrayana, like you said, and so, yeah. and I know it's like a passion of yours, the the Maniamaka or the Middle Way tradition. So I'd love to hear about, you know, how how you, how you're thinking of that, how you're weaving in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one really good example, and this is where it came to my mind. You know, I love the Heart Sutra. It's mm. one of my favorite writings ever <laughs> I, I read it all the time and I, i'm always trying to plunge the depth of it and of course you always feel like you're scraping the surface because it's so profound but in the heart sutra it's, it's interesting the buddha is sitting in a state of um, profound illumination meaning there's wisdom but he's completely silent and um instead of in and i think that illustrates that that the the nature of uh seeing this sacred world or having this kind of perception of things is beyond, it's ineffable. It's beyond our ability to, um, you know, it's beyond words. Yeah. And so at the same time, Avalokiteshvara, who is a great bodhisattva, uh, he he's in the picture too. He's in this gathering of people. And the monk Shariputra approaches him and says, well, how should a son or daughter of noble family practice who wishes to, you know, understand the wisdom of Prajnaparamita. Prajnaparamita, I guess we could say, in some ways, is like the mind that's poised for insight. Mm. It's accurate discernment. That's mm. Prajnaparamita, accurately discerning. 
So she's the subjective side of sacred world. And so he goes on not to really teach you how to do it. He just describes what he sees. Mm. And it's it's very cryptic, you know, it, the way his language. But if you study it, you begin to understand what he's seeing. He's seeing everything as being empty. Empty is yeah. not a void. It means empty of intrinsic existence. Um, but that's very much the Mahayana way of talking about the this sacred world, this world that's unobstructed, that we see it without mistake, you know? Yeah. And so, in a way, that is a, text, a sacred world text. Mm, he's describing yeah. what he sees with, yeah. that's un, completely unobstructed through the yeah. eyes of Prajnaparamita. So that's an example, I think, I would use of sacred world. It most certainly is a yeah. sacred world text in, the, in that regard. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit, I mean, obviously, I mean, to study anything in Tibetan Buddhism or Buddhism in general, you're going to come across the Heart Sutra at some point. And, and uh, the Heart Sutra has been a passion of mine too, but specifically um, yeah. a little bit more the Vajrakutta Sutra because it's been in yes. my practice for 20 years. And, uh, and so, um, you know, but they're, they're obviously, they're very similar. Uh, they, just Vajrakutta goes into a little more detail. But, but yeah, going back to what you're saying, you know, what you're describing is, I think, is the verses, you know, no form, no feeling, no sound, you know, going into yeah. the negations, right? That's when it's starting to talk about the sacred world in relation to the, the not just the subject, but the object, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's interesting is you can't really talk about a subject without an object. Yeah. Because mind and its world are interdependent. They're not, you know, we say in the, in the Majyamaka or middle way tradition, they're not one or two. They're not the same or separate. Like, yeah. you know, what is subjective awareness without an object? It's, it has to be aware of something, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, try to imagine what it would be if you were lived in a vacuum. You know, you were, you were completely cut off from all sensorium. You know, so mind and its world arise together. And I often, you know, when we're talking about sacred world, really, we're talking about relationship. Mm -hmm. How do we see the world that we that we encounter you yeah. know even when we sit in meditation and, and the thoughts and emotions you know the activity of mind is arising what do we do with it do we shut mm -hmm. down do we try to reject it do we just get lost in the momentum of thought you know or is there another way to poise our mind which is again prajnaparamita that is you know this is the middle way it's not rejecting and it's not grasping it doesn't see yeah. things as, you know, a, a void, but it doesn't see things as like real in the way we ordinary, ordinarily think about them. So it's pointing us to, to something in that way. But so the interesting thing about sacred world is it's like pure, if you say the subject is prajnaparamita, then the object is emptiness. Mm. And that's this coming together of, of you know, prajnaparamita or, you know, janana or wisdom with seeing accurately the nature of the object that's that's what sees sacred world that's how sacred world opens up or is perceived or perceives you know <laughs> again you can't separate mind from the world it encounters like i often ask people yeah where do you end where does your mind or your awareness end and your world begin yeah yeah it's an inquiry yeah, 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 and I'd love to get into that because I, I think, I mean, before we get into the the practice side of this, which is kind of the practical of like how do we 
how do we see this? You know, I, I'm really curious the why, because I mean, we can come back down and 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 get back into the what is sacred world, yeah, sure, and then how to relate to it. But I'm you curious. Guide me. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's more, um, more because like my, you know, I know people yeah, are great. listening to this are at all levels of, you know, um, uh, meditation and Dharma interests. And there's some people maybe new to Buddhism and, you know, just to give some, some context here, we're, we're talking about the, a, a pretty deep end of Buddhism here. So, you know, if people are like, what are they talking about for a second? That's why. Yeah. And then of course we have some longtime practitioners who also listen to this podcast. Sure. Um, but you know, for me, the, the why I think makes it really explicit, then it gets clearer what the what is. So I'm I'm really curious for you, how you think of sacred world in relation to the self or nature of self and, and the why, why would we even want to, you know, think about this or reflect Mm -hmm. on it or or learn to meditate on it? Great question. Yeah. Because it's so hard to be alive in this world, <laughs> you know, I think, like, it's it's a conundrum of sorts, or it's a kind of a challenge. Like, there's this aspect of being human, and I'm, I'm assuming most people feel this way, where we kind of do know what sacred is. Mm. Like, I, I get blown away by how the world is sometimes. It's amazing. Like, you know, from this, like you, one one analogy might be, you know, we look up at the sky. It's really stormy looking here right now, so maybe yeah. this is a good one. And you don't know what's going to happen, and the wind is blowing, and everything looks chaotic. And from this kind of brewing storm falls this like symmetrical, beautiful, perfect snowflake, completely mm-hmm. unique. Like, what is that? Like, it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. And so, you know, we look at the natural world or we look at animals, you know, we see, I think we all feel the sacredness of of that kind of natural world. But even, you know, like you you go up into a skyscraper in New York City and you look down and you think, wow, how does this Mm. all, how did this happen? You know, if there's some kind of order orderliness. I mean, Mm. it was all built on cause, the observation of cause and effect, you know, measurement and planning and, you know, the way money works. And we have all these agreements Mm. that make it continue. And it's just very magical. And then you walk, you go down to the bottom floor and you start walking the streets and you see a lot of suffering, you know? And so there's this kind of rub you know, mm. and and sometimes for me, you know, because I've, you know, I engage the practices of sacred world, but there's this idea also that you could feel kind of hypocritical or you're ignoring something because there's yeah. this deep tendency we all have to want to feel good, you know, and and cling to the sacred and feel really uncomfortable about what's not sacred. So we're mm. living around life in so many ways. There's just just a lot of conflict around this and i love conflict so i <laughs> it's not i love conflict i love conundrums it's a conundrum yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the world is beautiful we can't deny we've we've had moments of sacredness or we've had moments when the mind is just completely at peace and we have all these challenging and difficult moments so like if you say out loud like oh the world is perfect i have pure perception people you know will get very irritated with you. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to kind of bring this down to kind of something that I see a lot too, it's like, I mean, this can easily become a bypass, you know, in the sense exactly. that- Exactly, Because to go back to, you know, this, this 
what we were discussing, which is um, the unity, you know, what we call in, in, in middle way Buddhism, the unity of appearance and emptiness or form and emptiness mm-hmm. or, or relative and absolute truth uh, and their, their unification that they're already unified. Uh, we just are not recognizing that. I think there's this sense then that like we need to go into some, when we hear the term sacred world, often there's a sense we need to go into something that's different than what's here right now. Right. As opposed to the sacredness actually being here right now mm-hmm. and and recognizing that along with its spaciousness or its lack of uh, disconnect from relationality, as you were putting it, right? Like yeah. it's deeply relational and that's that's a big part of the sacredness too, for me at least. You know? Absolutely. And that's the creating yeah. grace part. You have to yeah. relate to it. And I think yeah. just because something's different or horrific or really, you know, violent you can still have a healthy relationship to it. Yeah. And yeah. this is not about turning away. So this is like there's the creating in the Vajrayana, we talk about creating grace uh, on one hand, but we also talk about the fact that everything is valuable. On the island mm-hmm. of gold, there is no ordinary rock. And so mm-hmm. there's this kind of bigger view, or in this in a this uh not sadhana, the sutra, you know, like yeah. the heart sutra, there's emptiness. Things are yeah. empty. That's the unifying essence of all of it. So yeah. that we we don't make some things perfect and other things not perfect. Mm. You know, you notice in the the list of no's in the Heart Sutra, <laughs> you know, there's no suffering, but there's no nirvana either. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. it's all empty of intrinsic existence, which means it's not really just sacred as opposed to unholy or something. Yeah, you yeah. know, those are all dualisms. It has to be beyond this kind of dualistic way of looking at it, and that's where that's where it's powerful. You know, yeah. And, w- and would you say like that is the sacredness itself when we're really getting that's down the into sacredness? It. Is yeah, it, you yeah. know, how much can you hold? How big can you be? You know, where life is not too, you know, complicated or painful or beautiful for you sometimes we have a hard time even embracing beauty like on the other side of trying to make everything perfect is this kind of getting so entrenched in our own suffering yeah Yeah, sometimes i think that's more problematic for people these days yeah i mean it's like sometimes people it's popular now to talk about it this way that you know pulling from a sutra where, you know, it's that like second arrow problem where we have the initial suffering and then there's the double mm-hmm. suffering of all the fear and other counter-inflictive yeah. emotions that arise because of the suffering. Mm-hmm. And then we're just getting more entrenched in in our relationship to that as opposed, you know, like a, I wouldn't even, maybe maybe it's a disconnect of, a, I mean, that's an interesting thing to explore. Maybe it's not a relationship because it's not honoring or seeing all of the other independent parts of a situation, right? Right, right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's you can't say life is one way, yeah. you know. So, so what what is what is that? Then that that's yeah. a, in a no, certain way that's saying there's no k- intrinsic truth about life. Mm. You know, but but you're also not saying you're also not saying it's meaningless, and I think that's really important mm-hmm. to to point mm-hmm. out for people who are new to these teachings or like emptiness. Yeah. So I'd love uh-huh. to hear some thoughts on that, and then I'd love to hear just your experience to sacred. Uh, uh, world. But but first, I love to hear what you have to say there. Yeah. yeah. So why is it meaningful or why does it have meaning? Yeah. Like, like you know, what I, I think the idea of sacredness, I think a lot of people can relate to that as meaningful be, in their own way. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about it in a very specific way. We're not talking about it as a, a heaven-like feature, a, a thing that right. is in the future or separate from your experience now. Right. And so I think, I think there's this sense of 
yeah, why is that important to me right now as a, you know, in my life? Um, but also this sense of, um, like I was describing, emptiness is not a nothingness, you know, the way we describe right. it in the middle mm -hmm. of it. So, not at all. so it's, so it's kind of interesting to describe like that in itself is part of the sacredness that relationship happens, even though things are, they, they, they're, they're illusory. So I'd love to hear your, yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, what the view is, and this might, this might sound, it's kind of a hard idea, maybe, but mm. we can open it up a little bit. Things don't have to be intrinsic or true to function. Mm. You know, things are functional, like language is a good example for that. Since I love yeah. language, I'll use that as an example. You know, we've created all these many languages. There's many ways of, of expressing almost the same thing, human, mm. you know, human things that we all know. Um, but there's, but they use different sounds. So we've created sounds and then based on those sounds, we create words. And then we all agree that they mean certain things or point to certain feelings. So it's not real. It's an mm. illusion. You know, it all, in some ways it was, it probably began in a somewhat arbitrary manner mm. and yet it functions very powerfully, mm. you know, yeah. and it's an agreement we have. Yeah. Um, so things don't have to be real to function. And that's, uh, this is a big deal in, in this tradition. It, it's empty of any intrinsic truth. And yet it, the, the way it functions is, is extremely powerful. Yeah. So I always yeah. say things don't have to be real to, to function. Yeah. In yeah, fact, it, if they were real, they couldn't move. So they couldn't function. They'd be static. Totally. Totally. And, yeah. I, and I think it's that, it's that bind of, I mean, this is where, where, you know, these teachings often focus first. It's that bind of what's happening to us when we're, we're believing something as independent or permanent or, or real as it is, you know, and it's yeah. that bind. And I, I'd love to kind of hear your process over the years, because I mean, you've been a practitioner for right, more than 35 years, right? Uh, yeah, I think you know, getting quite a long now. time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I just love to hear that because like, because I think there's the why, but like, How's that, how's that been, you know, how have you related to that over the years? Because I'm sure it's changed a lot over those 35 years, obviously. Yeah, yeah. so how, how have I related oh, how, to Oh, how have you related to this, this sense of like, um, where we get stuck in our, in our perception yeah. and projection and then how this, this, this way of working with sacred world has helped you to work with that. Yeah, let me just give know? a really, say very practically, you know, um, I think, you know, Often, you know, we talk about this tradition of the middle way, even the Vajrayana is based on the middle way, the middle way meaning free of extremes. Yeah. And we always think, oh, you know, the extremes for our, for all those fundamentalists out there. But mm. actually the whole point of this tradition is to look at your own extremism. Mm. And, um, you know, it goes very, very deep. Even the, I... I'm, I'm going to talk to Pema Children soon about life and death and all of this, but this idea of it, you exist in a particular kind of way, and then all of a sudden you're extinct, you know, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> These <Yeah>. are extremes. <laughs> like, is yeah. there anything we can examine in the middle? And I don't mean middle like a little bit of this part of extremism and a little bit of that yeah. part of extremism, <laughs> yeah. but that the, when you start to look at the nuance in the relationship and the interdependence of things, a lot of insight comes that's mm. where insight comes from that's a mind like prajnaparamita that's not grasping and rejecting it's the open question yeah. that doesn't shut down around its object which is the opposite of emptiness right yeah 
Yeah. It doesn't shut down around its object, but it's engaged and it's connecting and it's moving. Again, it, things don't have to be real to function. The most functional we can be is when we understand this. That's where creativity comes from. So here, like in Crestone, you know, we have... It's a small town where people have like there's different groups that fight over different like, yeah, political I'm things or decisions <laughs> that need to be made, as you know. And recently, <laughs> I'm a part of a group, you know, who takes a stand on. So we, I think, it's called the Creston Preservation Society because <laughs> we we love our way of life here. We don't want a lot of development here. Mm. And then there are other people who want development. And they want government money to come in and they want to build things. And this is a very rare place. It's, it's a spiritual place with a lot of temples. Yeah. And we we like a rougher, I think we like a rougher life. <laughs> we, we opt for that. We say inconvenience is a virtue. That's our motto. <laughs> so anyways, we I was at a meeting and one someone from the enemy camp came into our meeting. And I say yeah. enemy. That's an extreme view. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so our our group split and some people were like, what are you doing here? And go away. And other people wanted to engage and talk mm. and hear what this person, and I didn't even know who this person was. So I was really kind of interested. I didn't mind if they crashed the meeting, so to speak. <laughs> I thought, let's not be rude. Do we, you know, I, I don't ever think it's appropriate to just shut someone down like that. You know, who are yeah. you and, you know, why are you here? So we had, then our group, we had to have a lot of discussion because what happened when this woman came in is we started to open a lot of things up and the divide between friend and enemy begin, like we allowed some complexity. Yeah. Extremism is a, 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 an inability to embrace complexity, mm. nuance. Yeah. But nuance is what we want. That's intelligence. That comes from not, you know, extremism means farthest from the center. So this is farthest. Wait, I don't know how to get my hand in. Okay. So if you have these two things, these are separate. But yeah. we're talking about this. Mm. What happens when this is interdependence, right? This yeah. is seeing things in relationship. So conversation, perhaps you can say, is a way to not fall into extremes. When you're mm. open for discussion, which is a good topic because um, there's so much extremism right now. Everything is so divided. But it's like it was very heart opening. And then our group yeah. had to really sit down and think, well, how do we want to be as a group? You know, yeah. what happens when somebody comes in who has a different voice? I don't yeah. want to live in this sterile, hermetically sealed, you know, bubble. Totally, totally. It's, it's what, yeah, you can't have benefit. Yeah, and I think I think what you're pointing out is is pretty key because you know th that was the kind of the essence of my question is like how do we start how does this come up in our life and how do we start to think of emptiness practically and and sacred mm -hmm. world is related to emptiness as we're talking about it, yeah. the principle of emptiness in Buddhism which doesn't mean nothingness as we pointed out it actually means interdependence and relationship um, but uh, you know I, I think you're pointing out a real key for for anyone actually which is that the start of this is in the is in relationality yeah. it's not in something yeah. else because uh for me you know i've been cracking trying to chip away at this for you know 23 years and um god i feel like i i mean i guess it's my process you know i had to go through that but i yeah. feel like i wasted so much time intellectualizing pontificating studying all the jargon of emptiness and actually these days it really just comes down to relationship it comes down to like yeah. learning to relate now again 
I think there's a difference. I'll just state something here because I'd love to hear your thoughts here. I think there's a difference mm -hmm. in relating via our uh, centralized, you know, ego base or our central uh, with a centralized sense of self, as opposed mm -hmm. to relating with a sense of curiosity and openness to the situation, person, right. etc. And that's kind of what, what I think we're talking about more here. Uh, so maybe mm -hmm. it's taken me 23 years to be able to even attempt that. But but I find emptiness is so rich in this area because yes. it's not it's not somewhere in the distance where we're gonna you know try to get it. It's not in 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 our thoughts. It's actually just leaping into the moment uh, with something. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. Maybe maybe you know it might serve. And I'm sure all those years of practice and study weren't wasted. It's never wasted. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just brings you to where you are, which is in a really good place. And I, with a deep appreciation, and all those those traditional studies are also really good to refine. You yes. know, maybe that's what broke it open. You know. Oh yeah. I just I wanted think to I say that. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of joking, yeah. but yeah, of yeah, course, in our in our tradition, yeah. just for for some of the listeners mm -hmm. um, who aren't maybe familiar, super familiar with Tibetan Buddhism, there's a very large component of Tibetan Buddhism that is uh, based on on reasoning and studying those reasonings and studying. You know, Elizabeth, this is a passion of yours, I know too. You know, studying lo uh, Buddhist logic, and then it, it helps to erode also um mm -hmm. the way we we relate to sacred world or don't relate to it so it has a use i wanted to mean it but but at yeah. the end of the day it has to become relational it can't stay up in the head and for me that that right. that was a process right yeah, yeah for everybody I mean, for most people i think <laughs> definitely you have to chip away at certain times and it sometimes it just opens up naturally and but maybe i should give an example because we're talking about sacred world and the self you know, yeah. maybe I could give an example through the self. Very simple yeah. for Please. people to understand emptiness. Because I really think it's so much easier. It's very easy to understand. So let me, mm. I'll use myself self as an example. <laughs> so, you know, if, if somebody were to ask me, who, who are you, you know, to me, yeah. I might say, well, in relationship to my son, I'm a mom. You mm. know, in relationship to my mom, I'm a daughter. In relationship to my brother, I'm a sister. When I go to a doctor's office, I'm a patient. When I'm in a store, I'm a customer. You know, sometimes I'm a teacher, mm -hmm. sometimes I'm a student. You know, it's it's there's no singular, permanent, or independent yeah. me. Yeah. I am empty of defining characteristics. It doesn't mean I don't have defining characteristics and I, you know, in, in, on one level, but everything happens. It's what you're seeing is everything happens in a context. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It yeah. all, it all depends, which is one way of talking about the nature of interdependence, right? It mm -hmm. all depends what's going to happen next. It depends on the causes and conditions. So in certain contexts, I'm this way. In another context, I serve another function. So this is what's means by it. I don't have to be, it doesn't have to be real or true, like one single identity, some ontological truth in order to function. For example, actually, I wouldn't, we wouldn't function well if it were like that. Like I'd always be the same way. I'd treat my dentist the same way I treat my son or, you know, and yeah. even with my son, you know, as he grows, it's different. It's different every moment. There's nothing kind of solid about it. There's no singular me. There's no permanent me. There's no mm -hmm. me that exists outside the nature of causes and conditions and context. That's emptiness. So yeah. what you might say is, well, who am I then? 
you might say I am I'm of the nature of open dimensionality. Mm. I'm open dimensional, which is a a, a a translation of the term emptiness from Gunther. Open can that dimensionality. Become my, my, can that become my uh, my my preferred pronouns? Uh, I like yeah. to call yeah. myself open dimensional. Yeah. yeah, I'm open dimensional. That's who <laughs> yeah. I am. Well, see, this is a really good point that you're making because we, yeah, I mean, obviously, are who, you know how we move through the world and the way we understand who we are and our family lineage and our, you know, all of these particulars of who we are. It's not a negation of that. Exactly. It's powerful yeah. that yeah. I'm a mother or that you're a father, by the way, yeah, yeah, is yeah. powerful. You're not <laughs> yeah. going to treat your daughter, your tiny little, you know, newborn, well, not newborn anymore, probably uh, getting bigger, but the same way you treat your buddy or something, you know? No. Yeah, or, it would it wouldn't be else. helpful to the relationship. It's sort of like right. like you're pointing out. It's sort of like having. I mean, open dimensionality, as you're saying, as I'm hearing it, doesn't mean it's an. Yeah, you said it. It's not a negation of a role or or a no. relationship or an interdependent. You know, something that's arising interdependent, like being a mother or father. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great yeah. example because I think we struggle so much. I, I don't want to go too much down the rabbit hole here, but you know, we struggle so much with identity, and I don't mean like bigger social identities. I just mean yeah. even just like individual identities. Who am I? I know. Yeah, in high school, I just yeah. I had so much identity crisis going through different phases. Yeah, everyone does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 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 it's it's part of trying to find the self, but the problem is the self doesn't exist in that way. That's so right. it's like we're trying to find something that that we can't, you know. Right. In a way. So you were trying to find some truth, some ontological truth that we can say, yeah. "Aha, there it is." But in fact, what we really need to ask is, what serves in this particular situation? Yeah. Yeah, You know, so because we're open dimensional, it's a beautiful realization that this is your true identity, is that you're open dimensional, which means you're infinite, you know, yeah. and but it requires a certain kind of refinement. Like you said, everything matters that we do. Mm-hmm. How do we create grace in relationship? Because what it's saying is we're in relationship and it's this in, you know, we can't separate the world. Our, our, our awareness from the world we move about in this, this constant kind of playful exchange of our inner and outer worlds going on. How do we create grace within that relationship? Because we can't change the world. There's always going to be suffering. There's always yeah. going to be beauty. And a lot of it also depends on our, you know, our causes and conditions, you know, of who we are mm-hmm. and our configuration of who we are and the circumstances that arise, you know, wherever we are. How are we going to gracefully because grace is a great word here you know we always think it's like bestowed on us from god or something but (laughs) grace is something that actually happens in relationship it doesn't happen Mm. in a vacuum grace speaks to harmony and relationship so how do we create harmony how do we create grace um in our lives and that's the question for the practitioner i feel yeah i think i think i i I love that i think that's really key because it's it's we're not talking about a negation that things can arise and function. Right. We, we've established that, and we're Absolutely we're also not, not talking about a fixed sense of identity or self. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that that area. It's such a paradox for most of us. It's so complex. Yeah. I mean, first of all, even to see that takes some effort, and you know, to see that yeah. that's happening in our minds. And second of all, to kind of mm-hmm. get out of that. And you know, going back to a question I, I wanted to ask you. I think it's related to this is, is this sense of like, um, 
so the sense of like sacred world principle and you know you just have this wonderful example of relating to yourself as like you know you function as a mom sometimes as a daughter sometimes as a student sometimes as a teacher sometimes etc how has how is that development like your relationship to that i'm going to call it um uh uh decentralization we could all say like multiplicity i'm going to call it something I like the word decentralized a little bit better because I think it's more it's closer to what it is. Or Trungpa Rinpoche sometimes calls it like centerlessness. Um, yeah. I've heard him use that word and I love that word. Um, but anyways, this sense of like, you know, your relationship to that, how has that helped you like in your daily life? Because oh, I think a lot of people so who listen to this yeah. want to know, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes these can be for you and I, I, I don't, these are not abstract concepts for me. Uh, they are practical actually and i believe they are for yeah, you too sure. but for a lot of people when they hear these they you know it takes time to make them practical so it's i think it's really inspiring to hear how they do become mm-hmm. practical for us you know to share some of that yeah how they well, help it maybe it makes this way of being makes you very flexible mm. because you can walk into any situation and the main question really is how can i serve to create mm. grace, maybe. Or mm. how can I create healthy interdependence in this situation, yeah. in any situation you're in, rather than just shutting down around who you th- think you are or who you think somebody else is, which is not mm. a, an expression of respect. Because yeah. if you're open-dimensional, everybody else is too. And so when you <laughs> kind of shut down and kind of reify, you know, solidify or reify somebody else. It's not an accurate perception. Yeah, yeah. The accurate yeah, perception is to not reify and to see the open dimensionality or emptiness. Yeah, and, and for me, when I'm in, I'm in those, which is most of the time, <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like uh, uh, moving into. I'm, I'm, I'm spacing out the word right now, but when I'm not in that open dimensionality, both in relation to myself yeah. and others, or or just others, I feel so much tension. You know, right. there's so much suffering. There's there's pain. There's, you know, uh, fear, um, all kinds of stuff. So for me, it's very, it's very practical in that sense where it's like I feel it like hurting. Mm-hmm. You know, like like here yeah. I you know I I live in Medellin, Colombia, and I live in the city, and so there's you know fruit sellers who come come down the street here. I often talk about this as an example, and it's just it's something just cultural to the city here and it's like I call it the train of fruit sellers. So I'm I'm here meditating <laughs> and for an hour there's people yelling on loudspeakers, like distorted loudspeakers <laughs> selling papayas and all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. um you know, it's not something cultural. I didn't grow up with that, right? Mm-hmm. And and I also have this sense that people should respect my sound space when i'm meditating they have no idea i'm meditating (laughs) they also have maybe not even the same cultural idea of of sound or relationship to sound or quiet um and they're just trying to make a living and obviously people here buy their fruit otherwise they wouldn't come through here so the moment i close down around that and i start to get annoyed because somehow someone is starting to you know interrupt my space right but again we're even asking the question what is my space what is their space i mean elizabeth you already asked this we can even do an inquiry into that right as getting into some practical examples like where is my space where you know is it is it in my finger is it is it in my body somewhere is it somewhere like does it end at the wall where where like the you know so interesting right where where we can go with this really interesting yeah so i don't know so 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 i guess yeah go ahead 
Please. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. I really, I think it's really cool that you pointed out how uncomfortable that can be. Because mm. in a way, I feel that's very important to understand our own mind. You don't have to only see your mind as an easy place. Mm. Like, what is mind at its best? What does that feel like? To me, mm. that's that open dimensionality. Yeah. You know, what is mind at its worst? It's when we shut down around an object or, you know, what have you. So we're understanding like the mechanics of our own mind, which is incredibly important. And it's important to know that, that it is actually, this plays a huge role, um, in our, in net, in terms of our emotions or our negativity, like Mm. you're saying, like I often use the example um, when people go into a war zone, you know, when they're in war, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, soldiers are trained to reify or objectify the enemy as yeah. bad. So that, that's very not open dimensional. That's like one yeah. dimensional. They're your enemy and they want you to be feel that. Why? Because that's how hatred is created. Like mm. if you see the open dimensionality of someone, it's going to be harder to shoot them or harm them. So, you know, if you go into a war zone and you encounter some a man or a woman or whatever you know and you think um uh you know there's somebody's child or somebody's yeah. father you know somebody's sibling whatever yeah. you know you your heart is going to start to open yeah open yeah. dimensionality actually protects you from negative emotions yeah and it's the same thing like in advertising with with attachment you know th- People who are in the advertising industry know the psychology of this. They want to show you a one-dimensional picture Mm. of an object, like a beautiful car that hugs the road. You know, they're not going to remind you, oh, you know, in two years, your dashboard is going to crack and the insurance is going to be high. And, the, you know, when you start thinking of those things, it kind of, um, it might dampen some of your enthusiasm, but it yeah. brings you to a more realistic place. So they're playing on, they want you to reify mm. and they use that psychology to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, you, so hear, you hear that this, everyone? This is some, some tips here for dealing with yeah. the world right now. Elizabeth is giving you some quite powerful tips because, you know, this is where we have another word Elizabeth loves to use, agency. This is actually yeah. where we have agency. You know? Agency. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you for saying that, Scott. Yeah, this is if, if this is not practical, there's something you're not seeing. Mm, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know, Scott, I feel too. It takes a long time. Like I wish somebody would have told me maybe some of these things earlier on. You know, yeah, me too. Me but too. but you have to you have to push it at yourself. You have to yeah. push it your own mind and kind of personalize this. I think that's what's. You probably agree. It's hard with the Dharma because of the language. And, but you have to find ways of explaining it to yourself. Don't just let yeah. somebody explain it to you, but find a way to explain it to yourself and do investigate deeply into your experience. You know? Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's the spirit, I think, of, of a lot of the work we both do now in our Dharma teaching. And again, I, I would say like, um, you, you've been an influence on me in a positive way in that of, of mm-hmm. sort of how do we not only prompt ourselves and live from that perspective? Because ultimately... You know, more and more, the more I study the Dharma, the less and less I see belief, actually. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying there isn't belief in the Dharma. There is. There are some like mm-hmm. preliminary beliefs we we can, we have to take on to then use as a mirror to look at our own beliefs, right? That's sort of yeah. what the path is. But the more and more I practice, the less and less I see belief, the more and more I see prompts, 
You know, I see the Buddha yeah. asking me to think, asking me to reflect, inquire, to look at the mind, to deepen my mm -hmm. awareness so I can look deeper. So it's almost like, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, I don't like quoting this because it's so overquoted now, but this this quote of, you know, where the Buddha said, don't treat my my teaching on face value, treat it like you know, you're checking for uh, if it's real gold or not, you're going to burn it, you're going to wash it, etc. Mm -hmm. um, but I really see that spirit throughout the, the Buddha Dharma, because, um, you know, I think there's, you're, you're also pointing out a cultural disconnect here, because that wasn't how it was for me initially. I saw mm -hmm. a tradition that was asking me to believe in something. Now, whether they mm -hmm. were doing that or not, I'm not sure. But that's how I related to it as a convert. Yeah. And so there's a whole nother podcast we could do, a whole nother episode. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. I've sometimes yeah. felt that way too. And sometimes I thought, is it coming from the outside or is it coming from me? Yeah. And I wasn't sure, but I grappled a lot with that. And, yeah. and, but I know, like, even with my teacher, who's very, you know, strong and direct and kind of sometimes like, you know, I don't want to say scary. He's also very compassionate, but he, I think it's his passion. Mm. That he rah, says things really strongly, but he also wrote a book. It's called "It's Up to You," you mm. know, which means yeah. he he doesn't he wants us to bring it to life in our own experience. Like there's those three contemplations, the three wisdoms or prajnas. You yeah. study the teachings, you hear them, you, you kind of stay open uh, with them, um, and then you you take them and contemplate them deeply. I think people don't contemplate enough. Contemplation yeah. to me is the thing that's the most people meditate, you know, yeah. but they don't yeah. contemplate. Yeah. And yeah. I think contemplation is profound. Um, it's, yeah, it means because, bringing language to, you know, and all that. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, because you, I yeah. was just thinking, I mean, for me, the contemplation piece, I love how you're pointing that out. That is what actually takes us from being a believer to actually being right. a practitioner. Because yeah. contemplation, you're you're deliberately not believing. There's a healthy sense of skepticism mm -hmm. in contemplation, yeah. at least for me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Belief sometimes comes when you're hearing. Although I think you can hear without belief, with an yes. open question mind. And that's, I yeah. think, the best way of hearing. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's very true. And I, I really, this is a very personal thing. This is supposed to be a transformative thing. So mm. what does it mean? And, and I've, I've found sometimes, I've gone through a lot of, a lot, like I've gone through strong periods of doubt. Mm. Strong periods of um, not it wasn't as much doubt in the Dharma. It's sometimes it was more doubt in in my abilities or sure. just feeling kind of dark and not I don't know or yeah hearing something more as a belief. Yeah, it, but I always think when something is uncomfortable, that's where you need to explore it. Mm. Like I had a feeling of faith with faith. I think I've I've always had a lot of faith. But what was, I didn't even know what that was for me. Yeah. Like, like I had a feeling maybe of open dimensionality, like a feeling of openness that I trusted. I always trusted since I was little. But then there was this aspect in the Dharma, I kept hearing this word faith, or you should have faith, or if you don't have faith. You know, some of the language sometimes comes out like that. It does. Yeah. But, but that, but so then you have to kind of, well, what does this mean? And how it's, what is faith as a cultural experience? What is a faith as, is it an experience for me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And then I started looking at etymology, etymologies and, and dictionary definitions and Sanskrit and Tibetan. And I started opening up this term faith. And then that's what my book came from, The Logic of Faith, (laughs) because I felt uncomfortable with it sometimes the way the term faith was being used, both in my tradition, both in my culture and the way I was feeling pushed to use it. And I hadn't clarified even what it meant to me as an experience. And so I think instead of turning away from things that are comfortable, this tradition demands that you go into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it you know, I, I found, I mean, even just with the topic of faith, it also demands yeah. actually you probe the meaning of that because there's not one type of faith in Buddhism. There's oh, many it's types. so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's so amazing. I mean, I'm thinking of a teaching of Toko Urgen Rinpoche where you went into like the four types of faith and, you know, it, yeah. and, it, and, but, you know, it also brings up the sense for me because you mentioned hearing, contemplating, meditating, which are these three wisdoms mm-hmm. we engage, which basically makes up the path of practice for us, yeah. but they're connected to the, 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 let's just use the word result for now of understanding, um, experience, and then unchanging realization. And, yeah. you know, when we connect, because really what, I don't want to go into a whole thing on, on unchanging realization. I will not be able to, by the because I don't have it. So, <laughs> but, but I will be able to say, for me, as a hypothesis, what I think that's pointing to, that's pointing to, I mean, well beyond faith. It's when you've actually become the experience mm-hmm. of sacred worlds. And, and that mm-hmm. is your subjective and, and objective mm-hmm. experience, you know. And, but but that, that process from understanding to... Um, through 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 the patchwork experience where it's not necessarily stable yet in our meditation we haven't yeah. we haven't moved beyond the centered centralized self into the decentralized sense of like you're describing interdependence you know and, mm-hmm. and how we how we relate um, you know that's messy because faith messy. sometimes looks like a thought or an idea or belief and sometimes we're getting little tastes of that where we're like ooh okay yeah. like starting to, you know so yeah. so I think it's kind of like this sense of either way what I'm hearing and what you're sharing with us today, and just, I know your work in a deeper way, what, what you share in general, and what I really take in, into my work as well in my practice is the sense of like, no matter what, keep curiosity and open questions as your yeah. base, right? It's gonna help you yeah. all along. Yeah, I think that's a protected space. It mm. protects you from fundamentalism and extremism. Yeah. It protects you from belief and doubt. It protects you from is and is not. It protects you from, oh, I'm all important or I'm insignificant. Yeah. It's just, it, it's curious. It, it's, it's such a protected, loving, intelligent way to poise your mind yeah. with, with your experience. And so I always feel you can never go wrong, really. And, and I think like we have all these conundrums, like I feel uncomfortable about faith. But then the mm-hmm. minute you ask, well, what does that mean? And let me look mm. into it. The whole, it disrupts that kind of edginess. Yeah. And, and it, that takes you to the middle way view, right? I don't want yeah. this, or I don't like this, or this bothers me. To be interested in your conundrums actually is a way, uh, it's like a liberation or a freedom in its own way. Yeah. So this is a very, yeah, like this protected, uh, uh, it's not a geographical space. It's a way of poising, being in relationship, in healthy relationship to the world that you encounter. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what could be better than wonder and curiosity? You know, like all the great masters, they, you know, when you read the text, they say, Emaho, meaning yeah. <laughs> how amazing it is. How amazing. Why is it amazing to them? 
because they've shut down around the object? No. Mm. It's amazing because they can look at somebody and be amused by the open dimensionality that they see or the world. You know, the world is not just treacherous, although we we don't deny treachery. Just yeah. because you see that it's open dimensional, like you said, doesn't mean we don't see the nuance and particulars. In fact, the more open dimensional your mind is, the more accurate and clearly it can relate to relationships. Totally. Like, it, like the soldier was an example of that. If you close down around who someone is and think they're an enemy, how do you see the nuance? Yeah, yeah, I, f- I, I find that to be true, and for myself, yeah. and and yeah, and there's also this sense of like. You know, and maybe we'll we'll start to move to our close uh, soon. But but I, you know, there's also the sense of like how that actually merges with or moves into what we would call more the expression side or the activity side of of what this practice is doing for us as an individual, where we can begin to embody authentic, balanced compassion, authentic, balanced mm-hmm. love, which then moves into bodhicitta. You know. Bodhicitta for me, it, it, it's actually, I think it's becoming a misunderstood topic out there a lot of yeah. the time. So I, mm, I want to be careful. Bad. Yeah, it's it's a little sad. Um, I want to be careful and save more time to talk about that unless you, you want to yeah. jump into it. But compassion, I'm I think is something. Yeah, maybe we can have another yeah. discussion on that. But um, compassion, um, you know, when we talk about, because a lot of people, you know, they get it. Well, this is, sounds all, you know, I could hear someone saying this all sounds good and well for me. And, and they might be getting inspired about that. But then they see so many problems in the world and they want to help. And then there's this overwhelm around that. And so, yeah. you know, to me, it, what we're talking about here, I see it as directly connected to that. So I, I'd yeah. love to make that more explicit for, for someone who's wondering that here. You know, I'd love yeah. to hear your the thoughts. The only on way that. I can talk about it is through Bodhicitta. But it'll okay. be yeah, easy. No, perfect. Yeah. yeah and it. It, it will match with, because, you know, when you talk about bodhicitta, that itself is like the creation of sacred world because you're, mm. it's like the sadhana. It has an aspect of dealing with the relationship that's called relative bodhicitta or yeah. how we create grace in the world. It's like, you know, how do we respond when we see suffering or how do we, we have this all day long opportunities to create grace. Mm. Even when we're sitting alone doing our practice, we can create grace by just, you know, just wishing the best for people or, you know, there's so, I mean, we could be like a grace creating machine, you know, I mean, this is what a bodhisattva is, this is what we're trying to create the habit of positivity and 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 help service (laughs) service but it's serving from just to point out because we're starting to mention bodhicitta for me this is where the crux is it's serving from that centerless space where where that individual bodhisattva understands they're not a singular thing and they're functioning from there they're benefiting from that place right yeah so that's wherever you are how can i serve is more creating is that centerless space. How can I serve? Ah, How can I serve? But but I will say, let me, let's just look at the Bodhisattva vow just really briefly. So my, one of my favorite, my favorite ways that they put it is beings are limitless. I vow to free them all. I just love that because what it means is like, first of all, it sounds so strange. Like, (laughs) you know, how can I save everyone? Sounds almost arrogant. It also sounds like, like to me initially, that's when I first heard things like that, when I was new to Buddhism, it just sounded like a job. Well, oh shit. Now I got a, like the the biggest job. Save everyone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As if you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, So it it, it has, but that's great because it, it creates some agitation. 
Yes. Then you have to look further if you're brave enough or if you have that kind of spirit to move into a conundrum because it is a conundrum in a certain way. So so if beings are are limitless, their suffering must be li- limitless. So how can mm. I save them all? You might ask that because yeah. that's really the, the conundrum. And so what I find it very interesting about this, because I've thought about this conundrum a lot, and I thought, you know, if beings are limitless, I will also have to become limitless. Mm, there you, you know? go, yeah. I will have, and that's what the four measurables are. Like, how can yeah. I become limitless? Yeah. This whole idea of, you know, it's just you keep doing it. You keep doing it. Mm. But we have this kind of also very distorted or confused ideas. And I think this is really prevalent right now in the world. Like we need to fix the world. We need to fix the world. We can't even find the world. And what does (laughs) it even mean to fix it? And so the the point is with empty, we can't bring the world to a static state of peaceful equilibrium. In other words, we can't bring the world to be how we want it to be. We can't even bring ourselves to that place or our, <laughs> yeah. our little world to that place. Or we can't, I mean, have you ever tried to change another person? Oof, so like, it's yeah. such a kind of bizarre notion. So, you know, what happens when we're faced with these kind of conundrums is like, you know, we first, we might try to fix the world. Mm. And I don't just mean the environment or something. We're We're always trying to fix the world. And then, of course, we can never bring anything to that static state. So then when we find out we can't, we fall into despair or we just check out. So these are the three ways that we deal that are not healthy. Mm. We think the world is a fixable place, but it's too dynamic. It's too, as you say, rambunctious for the likes of (laughs) our ideas. And so we can't fix it. Doesn't mean it's broken. It's just dynamic. Then we try to fix. We can't. Or we've, but so how do we rest in the heart of this conundrum? You know, is really what the bodhisattva is path is. How do we rest there that we can't fix it, but we have to respond? Yeah, we want to respond. Yes. Well, I'd like to formally invite you to come on again (laughs) uh, because um, this is. I think we could go another hour plus just on this because it's so it's rich this area of yeah. where where the buddha dharma is is recommending or or um inviting us into the the act of sitting with uncomfort which for me it starts with my own prison it doesn't start with someone yeah, else's yeah. prison and this is part mm-hmm. of the problem now bodhicitta does not come out of right. reflecting on other people's prison first in my opinion right and mm-hmm. so you know that you're describing that in another way and i see it as sort of like until we've actually you know this is it's it's embedded in the very first teaching of the buddha where he said no dukkha you know inquired into dukkha look at the layers of how dukkha is arising and i feel that's where the bodhicitta comes out of which is what you're describing comes out of you know another way to say is like leaning into our uncomfort or the way we relate to the world and, and its suffering yeah yeah it's so important you know because like if mind and its world are like this yeah. Then, you know, we need service can bring open us up in that yeah. way and heal. It can be so healing, and the world has so <clears> much <throat> to teach us. But also, how we see the world, we need to examine that because, mm. you know, how we see things determines what we see. You know, so there's this kind of interdependence, um, and that's you know of course that's at the crux of all of it as you said relationship or how to create grace you know yeah, yeah. and that's the sacred world 
this is we're moving toward the sacred world in that Beautiful. way. Beautiful. And, mm-hmm. and, and I love how you just pointed out, we don't have to wait, you know, cause I think for no, a lot of the years, wait. I, yeah, <laughs> I thought, you know, sometimes this, this sounds like actually, I mean, it literally is. There's some text from Atisha I can think of where he's literally mm-hmm. saying, don't, don't go try to become someone in the world, sit in your cave until you've realized this, and then you can be of more benefit. And I think there is some truth to that, of course. And I mean, obviously it's a Tisha Dimakara, but there's also, um, uh, uh, there's something to be um, inquired into that. But what you're also saying is we don't have to wait to become a Bodhisattva. We go and serve, but what what is implicit in what you're saying is we have to understand what, you know, that dynamic of where we're serving from. Because I think so right. much service, because we all want to help. I believe that's part of our fundamental goodness, our fundamental yeah, Buddha nature. Because we want to mm-hmm. we want to be free from suffering. We want others to be free. That's just a natural response. Yeah. But the, the problem is we're coming from the ego center. You know, we're coming from the centralized ego in, in order to do that. Which, like you're pointing out, then brings another problem where we don't even, we think we understand, you know, how to help. But we don't even understand the problem fully, you know, at its depth, right? right? Yeah. So it's tricky. That's why they say wisdom and compassion, you need both. Yeah. So the wisdom yeah. is, you know, what is my mind at its best? What is my mind at its worst? What what happens when I reify an object? What happens when I see the open dimensionality? You know, yeah. that's a more accurate way of seeing how things really are. So the wisdom aspect has to do with accurately seeing things, prajna. Mm, yeah. Accurate seeing. You have to have accurate seeing, or or it's that's Buddhism. You know that's kind of the most essential aspect of Buddhism is accurate seeing. Yeah, yeah. But, for me too. but compassion naturally arises from that because you're not reifying someone. Totally. You know. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. so they it's like water and ice, wisdom and compassion, right? Yeah. yeah you yeah, can't yeah. really separate. No. No, and I think I think there's you know in in the Buddha Dharma we have ways of working both sides too. Like in, in yeah. when we serve, we're also exploring our relationship to self and other. When we're Absolutely. exploring our, our relationship to self and other, we're also in relationship mm-hmm. to to um, uh, compassion and how that relates in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, I got a top. I got our topic for the net for for the next <laughs> meeting. <laughs> Keeping us busy, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I know you're busy, so there's no pressure. Yeah. But yeah. no. Of course, no. I've loved it. It's always fun to talk to you, and whether it's you know something other people can see or not, you know. Yeah. I'm very happy to support your podcast. I really like it. I oh, listen thanks. to some of them, and I really appreciate you know want to support you to continue. And um, this is this is such important information. It's vital information for humanity. I agree. Vital. Yeah. I yeah. feel. So I agree. thank you. You know, really, I I, I thank you for that. No, thank you so much. And, and you know, if you want to know more about Elizabeth, um, you can go to elizabethmattisnamgill.com, correct? I think you know, the best thing is middleweightinitiative.org. Okay, that's better now. Okay. That's my my organization. Perfect. I'll, I'll put yeah, it in. Who cares in the, about in me? The... I want to put the work in the center, <laughs> the middle way in the center. In the podcast, open question. Well, I, you know, yeah, yeah. maybe maybe people you can you can go to both. You know, people can check you out <laughs> of both. Uh, they're both wonderful sites, and and yeah, and her her podcast. Please please check out you know Elizabeth's podcast, um, Open Question. It's it's really really wonderful. Actually, a lot of what she shared here today is on the podcast, and um, mm-hmm. you can kind of just hear without you can hear her inner 
sacred pure form without me babbling in the background so oh no you're great to have be in dialogue with so anyway. oh, i appreciate you yeah, thanks so much yeah, elizabeth too thanks yeah. scott and everybody yeah, yeah thank look, you i look so forward much. to talking soon yeah yeah okay okay we will bye thanks everyone <laughs>